joining us this evening. My name is Christiana. I'm the CMO of a company called InVenue. We do predictive sports analytics, but today I'm your moderator, so I'm here to help uh, the conversation flow really well. Um, but I do want to make sure that you guys know this is a, an informal, casual conversation, so start thinking of your, your questions for the panelists. We're going to get to them um, uh, throughout the evening, um, so I would love for you guys to make sure you save those questions for the very end, okay? So don't forget to write them down. Some of you have got notebooks and things, so make sure to hold on to those questions for us. Um, but I want to kick things off really fast um, by thanking you for being here. If you're interested in starting a business or you're in the early stages, just showing up is a huge deal. Um, I know you have a million places to be tonight and a lot of things to be doing, but the fact that you showed up to be uh, here at this event with us is uh, putting you light years ahead of the competition. So round of applause to you guys for being here. Um, I want to see a show of hands who uh, is thinking about starting a business but hasn't started it yet. Okay. Okay. Who started their business and has questions? Okay. <laughs> KG's like right here. <laughs> Right here, a lot of questions. Okay, cool, that's awesome. Who here is looking to maybe um, receive funding or um, uh, looking for a loan? Okay, hands up. KG, again. KG, you're, you're in the right. I think you started hosting these events for you, right? Is that right? <laughs> you gotta like, he's front row taking notes. Taking notes. Cool, okay, well, you're in, the right, you're in the right spot. We've got a great lineup of panelists. I'm so excited for them to introduce themselves. So I would love for you guys to tell us who you are, what you do, and give me your most used app on your phone. Pressure. Wow, let me think about that. Hmm, if I'm honest. Okay, so I'm Brittany Willis. Uh, I am a nine to five preneur, which means I am a career professional. So I'm a, a director of sales at PepsiCo, but I'm also a franchise owner. Um, I own the franchise location of PJ's Coffee in North Dallas. Uh, <laughs> um, I chose to franchise because it was a mode of going into business for myself that made it attainable to also maintain a career. I got promoted while doing both, so it's possible. So anyone considering it? Um, and my most used app, ooh, if I'm honest, I'm checking my sales a couple times a day, so Square. I'm looking at Square. <laughs> All right, so Sadat Rashid, I'm with Frost. I'm a commercial lender. Um, very happy to be here when we had the opportunity to visit with KG about uh, the multiple events that are happening. We were super excited and, and definitely wanted to join in and, and be good partners within the community. So at Frost, commercial lender and also a community leader in our uptown area. Um, I've been in Dallas now altogether for about 16 years. Um, previously from Frost, I was uh, uh, in investment management and decided that really wasn't for me, so now in commercial banking. So happy to answer a lot of your questions that you might have and uh, look forward to the event. Most used app on your phone. You don't, don't, don't. Linked in. Okay, good, okay. Hello everyone, I am Beth Johnson and I'm a commercial banker at Frost Bank too, so happy to be here and ditto for everything that was just shared with you about Frost Bank. Um, I have been uh, in banking for about 35 years, so I'm dating myself a little bit. I'm originally from Mesquite, Texas. Uh, woo! All right, we got some Mesquite folks in the room, yay! Um, I joined Frost Bank just a short time ago, but came here because it's a community bank, a Texas bank of 150 years, and really works very closely with clients and communities, and we get the opportunity to do things such as this. Uh, so it's a fabulous place to work, and um, I'm a commercial banker slash a community leader too, So, um, and I am uh, opening the new Rockwall location December 19th. But I do have clients all over the Metroplex, and I do travel to clients' offices. And so just happy to be here tonight, and hopefully um, we can help you guys and answer some of your questions. Yeah. Oh. Oh, <laughs> app, you know what I'm going to go with is my photos. I have a great family, and I have all these trips that I have with women's groups and my families, and I've got great, wonderful grandchildren uh, so my pictures are very valuable, and I also have a lot of positive quotes and leadership quotes and things I keep. So I spend a lot of time with my photos uh, and sharing, um, you know, a lot of those quotes and stuff with folks. So there you go. I guess I'll be the honest one and say TikTok right now is my most used app. <laughs> but I learn a lot on TikTok, and they have, there's a lot of, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, it's funny too, uh, interesting things there. But um, Brittany, I wanna um, congratulate you on all of your accomplishments. It's not easy to, uh, to make the leap into owning a business while you're still working full time. So I want you to share a little bit of how that came about. Tell us a little bit about 
did you go to college? What do you study? How did you get into PepsiCo? And maybe a, a little bit about the origins of starting your first franchise. Keep this brief. Okay, so yes, um, I did go to college. So I went to Vanderbilt University where I got, uh, I think I always knew I wanted to be in business, so I chose to major in communications with, um, uh, what do you call it, a, um, a minor in business because I knew that, that business required communicating with other people. I wanted to learn the skills of persuasion, negotiating, storytelling, building decks, um, having the difficult conversation. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, I got my MBA at the University of Arkansas when I was living in Bentonville calling on the Walmart headquarter account. Um, I, the way I got to PepsiCo was actually, um, uh, and I, again, networking is important. If you ever have recruiters, show up in your inboxes, show them some love, because it was actually a recruiter that reached out to me um, when I was at a former employer saying, hey, we see your background, we see your dabbling in e-com, we need someone to come build this account at Dr. Pepper at the time. And I said, sure, why not? So it was an amazing opportunity and Pepsi poached me from them, so I took, I took it. Um, but I think what you hear is what was a very robust, has been a very robust career for me. And I had a point where I said, I'm doing this for other people. I'm making other people more money. What am I doing for myself? And I realized that I was the common denominator in each of the successes and you know the new launches and the commercial efforts that I was doing from one company to the other. And so once I saw that trend, it might sound cheesy, but I decided to bet on myself and to do that for myself. And you heard me mention in the intro, I chose franchising as my mode of entering into entrepreneurship. It's not foolproof, and we might talk about this, you know, especially from the, you know, the lending side, I'm sure you see some things. It's not foolproof. But you know, you're in a network where there's support. When I have machines that are malfunctioning, like, oh, just happened, I have somebody at corporate holding that vendor accountable to make sure things are getting fixed. I'm not just one person out here screaming into a vacuum. So um, it was really just was me recognizing the pattern, the betting on myself, and, put, and setting myself up um, within the entrepreneurial space to be successful. I don't plan on stopping there, but I'm very thankful that I started within the mode of franchising a little bit how you decided what type of franchise to, yeah, no, I know, we're going to start with you, don't worry, don't worry guys, I got you down here, um, but it, this kicks off, I mean, it's going to lead really nicely into the lending side, you've got an awesome story, so tell me about how you went about choosing uh, which franchise, or you know a lot about coffee, did you look at other options, how did you, how did you select the franchise that you went with? All of the above. So I'm actually, I think my said is I'm actually from New Orleans, so I had grown up drinking PJ's coffee. And I always, I always say my story is I've had coffee all over the world. When I called on the Amazon account, you know, Seattle's known for great coffee. I've had great coffee in Seattle. I've been to Ethiopia where I've had the birthplace of coffee, you know, where, where I've had amazing coffee. And for some reason, that cup back home stood out to me. So what that just said is I knew there was a quality product there. And so with pioneering a new product in a new market, you want to at least have competence in the quality of the product. You're going to have to do a lot of marketing and awareness and all that good stuff to get people there, but once they're there, you want the product to hook them. So it's not just that I was familiar with PJs, and it's not just that I was I'm completely addicted to coffee. I have two or three cups a day. But it was also understanding the industry. So let's talk about that. The industry is one where it has a second, uh, coffee is the second most traded commodity in the world. Uh, Americans are drinking more coffee every day and Gen Z millennials continue to lean in. So when I chose to continue even in spite of the pandemic, it was because of the strength of the industry. You wanna make sure you're understanding is the industry trending up, trending down, or flat? Coffee is something that has been around for years. It has weathered recessions. It's weathered wars. Um, it's up there. I think the other categories are kind of discretionary categories like beauty. But it, there aren't many categories that continue to see growth despite economic downturns. So with this inflation period we're in right now, we're making it because people need their cups of coffee. So it was just my familiarity with that brand, knowing the quality product, and of course, diving deep, deep, deep into the industry and knowing that, and to answer your question, I absolutely had considered other industries for me, and I was just talking to my wonderful assistant store manager back there in the back, Michaela, um, about this. It was definitely about understanding the type of business I wanted to manage. Knowing that I was going to be maintaining my nine to five, I needed something that was as less complex as possible, it's still not. But what that means is, you know, I was telling her I'd considered McDonald's, I'd considered Chick-fil-A, and they're a franchiser who's known for you have to you have to work there, you can't have another job. But I needed something that was, um, that you call it low employee need, a, a more simple framework. So coffee, 
made a lot of sense. You know, something that has, you know, that's open 24-7 or something that has many moving parts like the six or seven, you know, departments like a McDonald's might have would be too much for me as an owner. So it was also knowing my capacity and the type of owner that I wanted to be. That's huge. I know there's a lot of different franchises uh, to, to pick from. So I love that advice and doing something that one, a little bit you know, more simple to uh, incorporate into your busy life already, and then something that you're also interested in, I think would be a, a nightmare to work in a, for a franchise that you don't actually really love. So that's, that's awesome to hear. Um, did you consider starting your own company? Um, and what were the startup costs compared to if franchising versus starting up your own business? So I had not, from a, I guess, I'm going to call it brick and mortar standpoint, I had not considered that. I had been doing, I, I don't even, uh, maybe I should, I had been doing consulting and, you know, on the side and things like that even before um, I went into business for myself as a franchisor. But so the answer is no. From a franch, from a storefront standpoint, no. Um, from a startup cost standpoint, that's, that was a question, um, I had done a lot of research on, okay, these franchise fees, what, what, what are these numbers? Um, total investment, what does this look like? If, if I'm going to build out, what is the site development process and what are the costs there? What is it, I was even, I remember looking at one point in time, what does it take to, to erect like a bathroom or a backup house? Like what are the costs? And so I ended up, I'm sure we'll get into this, ended up doing a lot of what I call my housekeeping to make sure that my finances were in order for lovely lenders and bankers like these individuals here to look at my portfolio and see me as a viable candidate. And that probably started two years before I ended up actively like pursuing it. Um, and it, all, the thing is you also don't know what type of macro environment that you're gonna pursue. I was pursuing a loan literally as COVID was swelling. At the point when banks were prioritizing PPP loans over giving somebody else money to go play with, right? And so my finances were really scrutinized and I'm really thankful that I had done just that initial research because every franchise is different. Some franchises, my total investment might be half a mil, some are a million plus. So it just depends on what you're looking into. And, and again, I'm talking physical storefronts where build outs are required, frankly, is what I'm talking about. Um, but I'm really thankful that I had assessed what that was and I started making um, decisions early, paying down debt, um, you know, not acquiring more debt, et cetera, uh, you know, saving money early to make sure that my portfolio looked attractive. Brilliant. And last question for you, and then we're gonna and then we're gonna pass along. So knowing that you were gonna uh, seek out uh, a loan, um, you started that process about two years prior. It sounds like. Um, what were some things you uh, did in order to find that money? Which where, where did you end up getting a loan from? So here's the beautiful part about franchising. So um, my franchisor is, I believe it's um, SBA approved, is that SBA approved franchisor. So that gave me confidence that as long as I had my T's crossed and my I's dotted, that I would be able to secure a loan. This was a model and a concept that, that, that the SBA overall has regarded as viable, as worthwhile of expanding. So that was a huge part of it. Um, I also was connected via my franchisor, and I, I don't know if they're called lending brokers per se, but uh, it was a group called Fran Fund. So, and I, for anybody interested in that, I would definitely write that down. I think Loan Depot is another one, but Fran Fund was an intermediary between the banks that set me up for success, frankly, um, that said, hey, Brittany, okay, gotcha. Ask me all the questions, credit score, debt, Per, you know, personal net worth, all the things, and said, okay, so you're gonna wanna pay that down. Um, I need you to do this, da, 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 and just kind of like, you know, because they know they work with banks every day, and they're essentially taking your package and shopping it around to different banks. So it allowed my my time and my kind of my my can, my candidacy to be vetted with others. And of course, I always recommend doing your own research. So I had actually tried going directly to banks, and I found that it wasn't that successful. And again, my timing, I think, was a big part of that. There weren't a lot of banks were like, yeah, no, we're not doing new loans, or, yeah, no, we'll, talk, you know, we'll try later. But I think the fact that I was a new business owner looking to start up during COVID, I think that, that wasn't attractive for many banks. But having that intermediary as a partner to banks forced them to look at my package and my application, and I think that that was a really big part of it just not taking as long as I think it could have. That's a great segue into talking to our friends from Frost here. Um, is that uh, a setup you're familiar with? Do you work with those types of intermediaries to, to help fund franchise or franchisees who are looking for a loan? Yeah, I would, I would say that I have not had experience personally working with an intermediary, and I would just you know, really highlight Brittany, like what you've went through and, and what you've 
you know, put together is just amazing. Um, so really kudos to you. Round of applause for her, for all the work that she put in to do that. Um, because what I heard in what you were really breaking down about your journey was a lot of preparation. Uh, it, it was not a, hmm, I think I'll open up a coffee franchise and still retain my job. Um, I think that's, that's very admirable. Um, so answering your question, no, haven't worked with them in the past. I'll, I'll pass it over to Beth, but just wanted to really make that comment about, about your accomplishment. This is a Britney Hype show. Yeah, so I am you. familiar with Framfin. I used to bank them so at a, at a previous, uh, in a previous life. They are a great group. And so they um, will help you, and I don't know all the franchises that they represent, but any of you that are thinking about, you know, starting a business or a franchise, they are a great organization um, to work with that will help you. Um, and they do work directly with banks, and they do know, and they can help you with your business plan and how to put all everything together and projections and all of those things. And when you are starting your business, um, you know, SBA is most likely the route that you'll have to go. Um, you know, to secure financing, it depends on where you are in the life stage of your company. Is it an idea? Are you a startup? Are you a mature? So typically, if you've not been in business at least three years, um, your capital sources are in a different place. And SBA is a great place to, to find that funding. Um, don't know what your next question is. You're headed in a really great direction. So um, I want to talk, I mean, a lot of people in this room are early, or really early stage of their ideas or they're just starting to make money and they're thinking, oh shoot, I just got an order for 50 jackets. Now how do I you know, have the funding to, to be able to, to fill those orders? So I want to talk really ground level things that business, new business owners need to get started. So whether they're walking in to work with, you know, was it Fran Find? or with the bank directly. I want to talk through, I mean, give me three or four things they need to have. We mentioned, you know, talking about financials, but let's dig into that even deeper. So a business plan, basic financials. Give us some of the starters you would recommend to somebody who's really early to the game. Yeah, so, um, you know, you really do have to plan, and you do have to be able to speak about your business. So one of the, the first things when you talk to a banker, if you're, if, or if you're going to talk to a friend fund or whatnot, if it's not an SBA, what is it that you want to do? And then you will have to be able to give your 60-second, 30-second elevator speech to talk about what is your value proposition? What do you do? And then how, does, how are you and your business going to be different than that of your competitors? And be able to rattle that off. This is who I am. This is my idea. Or this is my company. This is what we do. This is a value proposition of what we bring to the table. And this is what differentiates us from our competitors. you got to be able to roll with whatever your company is and be able to kind of tell that commercial. Um, most loans, um, especially when you work with the SBA, you have to have a business plan. So a business plan is pretty detailed. There's about five pieces of that. I will tell you the SBA website is a really good place to start. They've got so many tools there. They have a business plan template that you can use. They have an Excel spreadsheet because what we're going to want is if it's a new business, or it's a startup business, you'll want what we call a performa or projections. And typically two years out. And so there's an Excel spreadsheet that you can look that talks about what your projected sales will be, what your costs are gonna be with that, what your expenses are gonna be to run that business and net income. And it's already kind of pre-filled for you so you can just kind of fill in those blanks. Um, so the business plan is, is one of the documents that you'll need, uh, a performer or projections. Um, I think one of the things being in the business or the industry and banking, uh, dealing with business owners, you know, for such a long period of time, is what I see with a lot of newer startup businesses in the beginning is they don't really make the investment or figure out the accounting piece. And a lot of times you just kind of pencil it in or you may have a CPA and at the end of the year you take all your expenses and receipts and you do your tax return. I would really encourage you guys to take a, an accounting, like a QuickBooks course, and start from the beginning when you start putting your cash injection in. Where does that go on your balance sheet? Uh, and then as you start acquiring assets or debt, um, and really learn um, how to start the, keeping the financial records of a P&L in the balance sheet. Um, 
from the get-go from when you first start your business. And so a class on that, or maybe in this form, if we can do an education seminar on that, because what happens is, is a banker's going to want to know from, you know, the tax return is the annual report. Your interim report is what you're doing throughout the year, and can you generate that and give that to the banker so we can see what those numbers look like, not just at year end, but in the interim of that year. So it's real important to have, you know, bookkeeping from the get-go, I would say. And I would really piggyback off of what Beth was talking about. I think to really kind of bring it back to step one is what Brittany brought up about personal portfolio. You know, banks are really looking at making an investment into really the, the individual that is behind that business. And so if you think about before you get to budget, before you get to what your business is going to be, if your personal financial situation is not exactly where you would like it to be, that's really step one. And so banks have many tools, personal financial statement, you may have heard of that, you may not have, but it's something that you can definitely Google and look up. And what it is is really taking a personal assessment of where you stand as an individual. What does your debt look like personally? What does your savings look like personally? What does your credit score look like? And that was one of the items that we were gonna kind of get to within this. And I think it's really the, the biggest and most important thing when you're walking into a bank, the bank is really determining the character of that individual. And so the only way to determine the character is by looking at credit score, looking at that personal financial statement to understand how is this person manage their personal life? Can they actually manage a business venture that they're gonna go into? Can they manage that business venture with other partners? So I would say really on the personal side, you really want to make sure your ducks are in a row with savings, making sure that you have multiple months of savings. If you're gonna retain your employment in the situation that you have, great, because SBA is gonna say, oh, what's the outside source of income? Um, because you're not just relying on the business to generate income for you, are you? Because you may have lean months or years. So really the first step is really taking a look at your personal financials to see, hey, am I in a good spot to really start a business venture? So what does it encourage if you're really early? I know a lot of people have side hustles that take off and then become pretty big and I, you've you know, managed to maintain a full-time career and, uh, and do other things. So is that frowned upon? Is it encouraged to, to show that you've got a you know, consistent form of income and then you're gonna start something here on the side? Or what are, what are, what is the bank, how does the bank look at that? Yeah, you know, the, 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 the bank is really gonna be on a conservative level from the standpoint of what is income and use the term cash flow, really is just your income that's coming in, is that consistent? Is it fly by night? Is it just a windfall? Did it happen once? What is the consistent level of income that you have generated? So if it is a side hustle, but it's more of a permanent side hustle that you can continue to do, I don't care if you're driving Lyft on the side, I don't care if you're selling uh, juicing out of your home, it doesn't matter. Whatever that is, if it's going to be consistent, and then to Beth's point, if you're going to begin to account for it and track it, that is really the evidence that you want to be able to provide to the bank to say, hey, this is ongoing. This is something that I'm going to have very similar to my current employment paycheck. And on that note, um, the bank actually asked me, so how are you going to do that? I was, I was flat out asked that. <laughs> and so I had, as, a, as a sub part of my business plan, I had to demonstrate to them how I could be, and it's called many things, but I'm not quite absentee, but how I was going to be an absentee operator. And I had to really break that down in a way that gave them confidence because as, um, as they're both saying, they're giving the loan to you. And when they're looking at that, they're looking at your executive team and more than likely you are your executive team. So, and they're loaning to Brittany, is Brittany putting this business in the hands of you know John Doe and Jane Smith, who were not the individuals who were who analyzed. I was analyzed very closely as it related to why should we give her the loan? How do we know that she even knows how to put projections together and understands how to run a business? So on that note, if you are considering that, I would make sure that you're prepared. Because I mean, the banks are going to ask for a lot. If you bought a house, a mortgage has nothing on SBA loan process. Uh, so um, they're going to ask a lot, and so you want to make sure you're able to demonstrate to them how you were able to maintain both and give them that confidence. 
Um, I want to talk a little bit about building um, a team, and that doesn't, I mean, sometimes a lot of people are solopreneurs, but they need people in their corner like a CPA and attorneys. Um, much like building your fantasy football team, which I'm leading my league right now, um, <laughs> <laughs> probably not for long, but um, I want to talk about the people that were in your corner when you first started, if you had anybody helping you, and I would love uh, from your perspective as well, who is a must-have, like who should you invest in? We talked a little bit about it, Beth, invest early on on, on building your team, your fantasy business team okay I'm gonna be respectful but I'd be remiss if I didn't say God um, that is very genuine this is something I personally prayed on uh, for guidance and lean on him daily that's my source so that's that um, I would say so score score is a, is a resource available via the SBA I forget what the acronym stands for but score essentially gives you I believe they're retired, retired and or former executives to give you re uh, free access to them so I had a standing meeting for a week, probably three months before, like I was serious, like I was having franchise conversations and three months before I was about to sign my franchise agreement. Um, that was a huge part of my corner because I had, they really helped me determine what pieces from my professional career were transferable and you know how to apply those here but also help me understand the things like you're saying hey Brittany start shopping around for an attorney are you active in the chamber of commerce all the things that you really want to think about because small business ownership is different and there's still things there's still things I'm learning as a small business owner as outside of the scale and protection of a larger organization so score was a really big one um, and I'll be honest I mean I think and I'll pass it to you all as well but act my family I said Sat my family down and I said look this is what I'm doing and I'm gonna need you guys and I didn't know how I was gonna need them but I just knew I was gonna need them and frankly I did and so um, just having that emotional and moral support you guys are gonna need that as much as you need a CPA and an attorney I promise and so just don't forget about the the executive and the owner as you're building that journey because you cannot do it by yourself You know, I was just going to say to that, um, when you're starting out, you may not have this dream team of people supporting you. You may not have a financial advisor and a CPA and an attorney all at the ready for you to start your business venture. And so when you think about resourcing, I think it's really, really important. Um, so SBDA is a resource uh, that works with SBA, but it also sits right here in Dallas County and is part of the Dallas College. And they provide resourcing for projections, business plans, and it's free as long as you're a Dallas County resident. If you're a Collin County resident, part of the Collin County College District, and they offer that. So those are things that you can utilize if you don't have, quote unquote, the dream team just as yet. If you don't have good family support. You will always have faith support, right? But family support, the dream team of CPA, those are other resources that are available to you. Eventually, as you grow and that side hustle becomes more of a permanent fixture of income, I highly recommend, it's gonna be costly, it's gonna be a cost that you're not used to, but find a quality CPA. Find a quality attorney that you can then build a relationship with. Because those are individuals that will have a network that can then introduce you to your next opportunity, whether you're growing your business, whether it's a resource for your business, it doesn't matter. But those are two individuals that can really help you with your business. And I would say forums such as this, getting to know each other, um, connecting with other groups. Um, I'll just give you an example. I sit on the board of the Women's Business Council Southwest for about nine years, and it's a subchapter of WeBank. It's a nonprofit organization and what it does, it brings small business owners together and it had two objectives. Um, to help you get your certification for a minority and there are three or four, maybe four, I think, groups. So you've got the women's group, Hispanic, Native American, veterans, and, and then the, the black um, are the, the, the five minority groups through the government. So you can get that certification and there are groups out there that you can work with, but particular, the Women's Business Council Southwest is what they do is they help you get that certification and put that package together so you can get that minority status. What does that do for you? 
what that does for you is there are corporations, big companies, PepsiCo being one of those, and Frito-Lay set with those folks uh, from your supplier and diversity on that board. But what that does is those big companies, they get um, some benefits from the government by saying they're going to do a certain percentage of their spend or business with minority uh, certified businesses through the government. So that organization helped those women-owned businesses get their certification because there's a package that you have to do that. And then all of the supplier diversity um, groups of these big corporations, Toyota, PepsiCo, Bank of America, just tons of them, they are also part of this group as corporate sustaining members. You get to do roundtables and you get to learn how to uh, bid on RFPs and how to navigate their systems. But also all those other women, we, that group also offers education classes and forums and things such as that to help you. And then you can also learn from the other business owners. So forums like this, other councils, other groups, folks you meet in the chamber that own their business, I would just encourage you guys to sit down, have coffee, and learn from others too is another way that you can, um, you know, get some advice or coaching or, or guidance. Really good resources. Love that. Um, what are, uh, so let's, we've, we've heard about the SPA loans. What are some other opportunities for, let's say they're ready to scale and they're looking for a $100,000 loan. Um, talk to us about the different options at Frost Bank um, that are available for, for entrepreneurs. Sure, so it's real important where you are in the life stage of your business. You know, there are a lot of banks. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of banks, a lot of financial resources. So depending on where you are in the life stage of your business depends on your capital source and where you can get money from and what type of funding you can get via SBA or conventional. Um, and so what I would say, too, when you're looking for a bank or a partnership with the bank and you sit down and you talk to whoever that frontline person is about what you're looking for, small business loan, commercial loan, equipment loan, it's really important that you're the customer of that bank and you have to understand what their niche is and what they specialize in because not every bank will be a fit for every industry and every client and depending on where you are in the stage of your business. Are you startup? Are you less than three years if you're over three years? Uh, but we at Frost Bank, we do SBA lending. We are a preferred provider, so we can help you with the SBA process and get you a 7A or 504. Those are the two types of SBA loans. We have a designated team that helps us, and we specialize in that, so we can help you with that loan. But conventional financing is after your business has been established for two or three years, and we can see trends, and then we can see the cash flow of the company, uh, and we can offer conventional financing for you. So you've got two options, SBA or conventional finance are the two options. And so for, from a conventional, just to expound upon that, we offer lines of credit, we offer credit cards, you know, a lot of what we offer though is driven by the personal credit score when it comes to credit cards. And so on lines of credit for businesses, whether we do lines of credit or real estate, a little less focus on the personal credit score and much more focus on how the business is performing. So kind of keep that in mind. When, when I think of um, some of the impacts there, it would really be only related to if you had something very negative that was impacting your credit. Um, I like to think of debt, how you deal with debt on your personal balance sheet. So if you're maintaining a ton of debt personally and it stays on your credit report, it's going to keep that score pretty suppressed. And so just kind of keep that in mind. It's not the only thing that we look at, but we will look at it. Um, but as far as startup financing, current financing, existing, um, we offer multiple resources for folks. Talk to us about the benefits of going um, this route and working directly with a bank versus maybe finding an angel investor or venture capital. Um, I know there's a lot of options. There's also even things like crowdfunding and so many different choices now to raise money for your, for your business. But I would love to know the benefits, perhaps, of going with a bank versus maybe some of these other fundraising opportunities. You know, I would, I would say it's really about what you understand about the business that you're working in. Are you... Are you looking to grow that business rapidly, sell that business? Are you looking to 
have a business but still have your career? Um, it really depends because I don't know that there's any one preferred mode. You know, when it comes to uh, investors, investors are going to have their own ideas about what your business should be doing. And so that could be an expense to you that's greater than you paying finance charges on a loan. Right, because in the long run, they have ideas about where your business should go, and that's that's not just yourself. So, from a credit standpoint, from a banking conventional loan standpoint, um, you're going to see maybe some higher interest rates as a startup or as someone just kind of coming in with maybe lower revenues or your income, net income is not generating super high. So, you know, you're going to look at rates that may be a little higher than they will for mature businesses. But I would say, don't get deterred by that. Um, that's financing costs. And understand that over time, that will change for you. Yeah, so the, the real answer is do your research and really understand the pros and cons for each. And what you're really needing as a business, I think um, going the VC route or angel route, there's a lot of mentorship that you get and maybe experience, but there's a lot of heavy baggage that comes with that. So, and giving up equity. So we'll get to, I'm sure you guys have plenty of questions around that, um, but you guys have helped us really kickstart the conversation. So I do want to open up for, um, uh, for Q&A here in a second, but I do want to give, um, we talked about this uh, earlier, uh, being ready to, to pitch your business and knowing your elevator pitch. So I would love to give one or two people, if they'd like the opportunity to tell us about your business or what you're starting. Don't look scared. Don't look nervous. But does anybody want to share what they're up to, what they're working on? Doesn't have to be a professional elevator pitch, but I would love for you guys to share with the audience. Anybody want to go? Nah. Not in that suit. Come on, come on, come on up. Come on, come on up over here with the microphone. Sorry, KG, but we're gonna do a pitch. It's orange for Unity Day. Hi everyone. I am Maxie Taylor. I am the CEO of DFW ATMs. Um, I'm the CEO of DFW ATMs. We are a startup that basically specializes in placing ATMs in different locations across DFW. Um, at the end of this cohort, I will be in the pitch competition, whether they let me in or not. Um, but um, so I'm learning a lot from this, especially with Prospect. So thank you all so much for that. What questions do you have? I think that'd be. Can I just tell you how to find you? Yes, my name is Maxie, M A X C I E, Taylor. Google me, you can find me. I'm excited, I just came up on Google, so my SEO is popping right now. So, um, thank yes, I'm a plus size pageant queen, so I'm Miss Curve Texas 2022. This Saturday, I just won the Community Service Award from the NAACP for all of my efforts, and I've been featured on CNN, Fox 4, all that good jazz, so. Good job. Okay. You were, I love that the I love that the girls are like, excuse me, give me the mic, get out of my, get out of my way, boys. All right, good uh, evening, everyone. My name is Tiffany Jones Lewis. I'm the owner of TJL Collection. We are a women's fashion brand exclusively for tall women. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we focus on extended um, inseams. We ship globally to 30 countries, and um, I'm an advocate for tall women because we need to be included as well. Um, you can find me at tjlcollection.com, tjl underscore collection, and I'm on LinkedIn. I'm everywhere. I'm, ev I'm gonna be everywhere. <laughs> so. D define tall, like, um, <clears throat> like I, <laughs> I think I'm as tall as your leg. Um, that's amazing, I love, I love that. That's amazing. How long, how long have you been in business? Oh. But five, nine, and taller. Okay, so not me. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> I would love to kick off Q&A. Um, who's got our first question? Sure. KG's got his notebook out. He's ready. And tell us what you do. Sure. Um, my name is Jessica. I'm also a nine-to-five-preneur. I'm a software designer at Twitter, um, and I have an events business here in Dallas. Um, my question is for Brittany talking about 
Um, when you're trying to franchise, if you want to go that route, choosing a location, because I live in the Cedars neighborhood. I don't know if you all are familiar. Um, there's a lot of revitalization over there. I bought a house, so I'm trying to find ways to invest in that community. But it's also a food desert. We don't even have a grocery store. Um, so when you're thinking about you know, franchising or opening up a business in a certain location, um, how do you kind of balance the macro of that neighborhood or that area um, to try to invest in that community knowing that there are a lot of you know, historical factors that play a part? OK, great, great question. I would say, gosh, probably adjacent to the concept you choose is, is location as it, results to, as it relates to the viability of your business. I know within our franchise alone, same product, same everything, but I see certain locations, certain owners have different set of struggles because they're not on a main thoroughfare. They're not in a geographically advantageous area, and that's going to create um, different hurdles, different setbacks. Um, as it relates to that, I think that I love what you're doing, and it's something you just need to consider the elevated risk that's going to be associated with that. Um, sometimes you're able to outmarket and outpromote and out PR some of those setbacks. Sometimes you are not. And so you're gonna, I would recommend that you partner with one or two commercial realtors who know that space, who have the data to help you understand who is your target audience, who is likely to shop from you, and where are they within the vicinity. And looking at and, and looking at within you know a particular radius. If we're talking a storefront, looking anywhere between three to five miles out. So for me, I was looking at thoroughfare traffic, not just traffic. Am I on the AM side? I'm a coffee shop. Nearly 50% of my business is done before 11 or noon, right? So I need to make sure that the side of the road that we're on is where people are organically traveling to the interstate. I'm thinking like that. I'm also looking at things like schools, colleges, neighborhoods. What are those pools that are going to feed into my location? And so my location, you're, not mine, but a location is really, really, really critical. Um, one of the ways that I would recommend for you is to potentially do something that's pop-up something that might be food truck that's lower risk from a physical you know, standpoint to test it out before you do something that involves a five or 10 year loan, uh, excuse me, lease on top of a loan. So I can't emphasize enough the importance of that and just really understand the risk and the reward um, of that. Does that answer your question? Okay, yes. Some of the franchises will help you with that too because they want to make sure that you're successful and they want to make sure that they don't have too many locations within a certain radius. There's also some marketing groups and you know none of them are coming to mind right now but there are a couple where you can actually get industry data and community data that will talk about you know how much traffic goes through here how many residential households do you have? How many commercial companies you know, are in there? The Chamber of Commerce has a lot of that data too, so you could leverage your chamber if you're a chamber member and if you're not, um, whatever city you're in. But there are marketing researchers that can pull data for you, but I, I would say if it's a franchise, leverage them. They can help you maybe have resources. Again, FranFun is a great company. They can help with that type of data too. Uh, but and then your chamber of commerce but definitely that was a great question do your research location 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 can make a difference if you're going to be in servicing to the public uh, it's real important sure come over here so we can record your record your question come on up here, use the mic it's for the camera I'm a country girl. So um, just say you have a business, right, and you want to diversify into a franchise, how would, how would that look or what would you all be looking for coming from like a personal standpoint, the business you currently run in to diversify into a franchise? I, I think that's a great question. I've had that experience before where someone wanted, they were running a business already and then they wanted to go and do a franchise for like a trampoline center. Um, and, and, what? and you know, a trampoline center? kind of an urban air type oh. trampoline and where you have arcade in there and it's, it's great. And if you find the right community to do that in, you're going to be just well supported. And so for that person, that particular initiative, you know, we really fell back on how did they look personally? How much from their core business 
were they able to translate to their personal balance sheet? You know, because once again, we're looking at the individual. And if this individual can manage one business and manage their own personal finances and then join in with a franchise and they have the capital to do it, then we have a lot more confidence in how they've run business A and how they've run their own personal finances. Can you talk to us, I meant to ask this um, in, our, in our earlier questions, but talk to us about ideal interest rates. We, we chatted before and you said one thing you, you know, looking back, you, you definitely would have gone the SBA loan route, but you wish you could have maybe known a little bit more about how to negotiate on that rate. Can you guys tell us a little bit more about what that looks like and what, how that varies? So I'm not sure I captured the question. So how to advocate for the ideal interest rate. Oh, advocate for the interest rate. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so again, it kind of goes back to where you are in the life stage and where your capital sources are. So in the beginning, you know, you might use your own liquidity, your personal money that you accumulated. You might have that invested and you could do a loan against those investments. So that interest rate would be pretty low because you're kind of borrowing your own money. Um, SBA money is because it is taking a little bit more risk. That rate is a little bit higher. When you get to conventional financing, we call that kind of prime financing. When you've got about three years of history, we can see trend of how the business is doing. You've got three consecutive years of cash flow and you're able to manage and repay your debt and manage your business. Then your interest rate starts to improve and get a little bit better. Uh, when you get down that fairway of what we call prime lending, which is conventional financing. You also have factoring um, that, you know, you can use on the front end of your business if you need to factor, if you have terms with your clients, if you are building something or making something and your clients are not paying you immediately, that they pay you in 30 days, you have receivables. And factoring will take those receivables and pay you up front um, and take a little percentage out of that uh, and we'll collect those for you. So you have factoring options too. Uh, the other thing, the other option that you might have is equity out of your home if you have a home. A home equity loan is a very small interest rate. So depending on the capital source, you know, if you have investors or you have um, some angel or crowdfunding or something such as that, your interest rates are going to be a little bit higher. Um, so it just really depends on where you are, where your capital source is coming from. Uh, there is money available at a cost <laughs> for anything that you want to do. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to hit on, and you and I spoke about this before, we talked about investors and where you get your money and whatnot. Guys, it's real important to have a second set of highs on all the paperwork, anything or any contract with the bank, a loan agreement, uh, an investor agreement, even if it's your family. Um, you, you don't want to do anything on a handshake. And if you're having other people that are going to be investing or interested in your company, you need to document that. And you need to have an attorney or somebody look at that just to make sure that everything is covered and you understand what's in the documents and what your responsibilities are if you go into some of those agreements for, for funding out of traditional finance. Love that. That's excellent yeah, that advice. Who has the next question? KG. Um, I think a lot of people want to know as well, like how do you get a business loan or line of credit or credit cards without being like a personal guarantor? Like what are some things we should do right now to prepare if we don't want to use our personal credit to, you know, to get financing for our business? Yeah, I can, I can take this one. So, so as, as your business grows, a bank will take a different risk approach to just relying on a personal guarantor. Because we're gonna look at it and we're gonna say, all right, you now need a line of credit or a loan that well surpasses your financial strength individually. And so asking you to provide that personal financial statement really doesn't give us much comfort, um, or that personal guarantee rather, doesn't give us a, a whole lot of comfort. But what you do have to understand is early on, there's really, the bank is looking at you, the individual. And so it would be really tough for a bank to say, okay, this is a startup business. This person has no relationship with the bank. This person has no other resources that we would feel if the business were in trouble, that person would kind of rely on. So the bank is really taking that personal guarantee early on, um, really as a backstop. So when you start looking at um, alleviating a personal guarantee, 
it is on the strength of the business and how it performs on its own and the trends over a period of time. And the things when we underwrite, and I'm not going to get into the minutia of this, but certainly happy to come back and kind of talk through what do banks look at when you're applying for a loan? And there are three legs to the stool. And what we look at uh, is the cash flow. What is the primary source of income that's going to pay back the debt? The second thing you look at is something that we call leverage, and that's your debt to worth, which means how much debt do you have based on how much um, uh, assets that you have and what is your leverage. And so if your debt to worth, your debt is more than your assets of a 3.0 or better, then we get a little bit frightened by that. So leverage is the second thing. So cash flow, what is the primary source of repayment? And can you repay the debt? Leverage, how leveraged up do you have? How much debt does your business have? And net worth does it have? And how much debt do you personally have? And then the third thing that is really dear to our heart when we underwrite is the collateral piece. We call that the secondary source of repayment. So if your primary source or you might have a little rough spot, can you personally pay that back? But what is the collateral that might need to be liquidated and how quick can that happen to repay the debt? So when we look at a deal, does it matter where you are in the last stage? Those are the three components, primary components that go into the underwrite, the character and the management of the person and their skill set and their experience, cash flow, leverage, and collateral is how we underwrite. So as a company continues to strengthen and they can demonstrate that they can keep their leverage at a certain level over a period of time, they can keep their cash flow at a higher level over a period of time, is when the bank starts getting comfortable with alleviating those personal guarantees. Great question. Come in. Use the mic. Sorry, guys. As I stated earlier, I have an ATM business with my husband, and so it cost us quite some money to get that going up front, and we didn't use loans or anything like that, so we paid out of pocket. Well, now we've decided that we are going to start training up our techs or people who want to start their own ATM business and kind of help them out doing that. Um, so a cost is incurring because if we have somebody who knocks out a sale, we have to get this machine in place, and that's $3,000 on hand that we may not have. Um, I've asked a few people, and I just want to continue to ask, what do you think would be the best option for that? Is that a line of credit? Is that maybe you should take out a loan and get two or three? That way, when one gets placed, we have one already in the background going, and then that one will help me. You know, And then we need cash. We often have to pull out a lot of cash, and so a lot of banks kind of shy away from that, too. So do you guys shy away from that, or? <laughs> so that, I feel like that's kind of a multi-part. No, no, not loaded, not loaded, just multi-part, multi-part. Multi-part. Uh, maybe we start with the, the first one. So when, when I think of someone asking for a line of credit, I think in terms of whatever you're going to purchase on that line of credit, you have a plan to have that paid off within a year or shorter. If you know that you have a scenario where it's gonna take you longer to pay something off, whether it be the machine, whether it be covering the cost of training that employee that is now gonna go off on their own, then that's when you would look at more of a long-term instrument like a loan, right? And so when you, when you think about, okay, short-term versus long-term nature of what your transaction is, that's kinda how you would think of that line of credit versus that loan for, for that particular aspect of your question. When it comes to cash and setting up a relationship on the commercial side with a bank, there's a ton of risk there, as you can imagine, right? Because the bank is looking at supplying you cash, but what is the bank's recourse to supplying you that cash to fill your machines? Do you, do you have that cash in the bank account for them to withdraw, to then give you cash to then fill that machine? That's what we mean when we say recourse what's kind of the backstop to support your request. Those get highly scrutinized because as you can imagine, if for whatever reason you don't have the cash to back up your order, 
then that's literal cash out the door. That's not a credit card dispute. That's not you know something where we can get our money back. That's a, that's a pretty strong scenario. So I would say that as you're establishing a relationship with a bank on that end, you really want to look at having the lion's share of your cash relationship with them and then understanding from the bank, what are the steps that I need? What are the hurdles that I need to jump through to have change orders to actually fill my machines? And they'll walk you through the process. It may not be favorable, but they'll have a process for that. Yeah, and so, you know, we are talking about kind of straight down the fairway, you know, you're in a money service business. Money service businesses are treated and underwritten differently than just the normal type of course of business. So when you fall in that category for banks, there's a higher risk. The underwriting is a little bit more scrutinized uh, and a, a whole different criteria when you're in a money service business. Uh, and so on the front end, when you're talking to banks or bankers, it's real important. And of course, when you tell them what you do, a lot of times money service business, so you, know, you don't know. And I'll give you an example. Um, let's just say it's a gas station or convenience store. Well, you know, selling gas and groceries is fine, but a lot of those make cash checks or issue money orders, and that puts them in the money service category. And so there's a whole different type of risk with that, and the underwriting's a little bit more intense to get comfortable with the bank lending for that purpose. Right out of the gate, when you're talking to a banker, so you know I'm a money service business, you know, what is it that I need to do? How do you underwrite those things? What do you look at? And have that conversation before you provide them a full package. See if they have an appetite. Some banks won't even bank money service businesses. Like I said before, they all have niches and different appetites. Just be very upfront about what it is that you're asking and see if they even play in that space when you're talking to a banker. And so I would say just one last thing where, where Frost, Bank of America, Chase may shy away from some of that. There are clearly still ATM machines everywhere, <laughs> gas stations everywhere, check cashing places everywhere. They have a bank relationship. And so there are banks or financial institutions that will support that. So that's kind of coming back to our research. To lease or to lease this to these techs or to receive some sort of royalties for that upfront cost? Oh, of course. Okay. But they're paying you back. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Got it. And the reason why I asked, just something to think about, I think many people may or may not know this, but McDonald's, we think of it as a fast food restaurant, but they're really a real estate company. And so they're literally giving away, franchising is almost a mode for them to sell real estate. So when you said that, and we can talk offline, I thought about, hmm, that might be a way where you could actually make additional, like you adding a line of revenue as a, as a mode of that. So I just wanted to offer that. The things I would suggest because you've got your core business and you have you know your own machines and your own revenue make sure or just a suggestion you don't have to you need to be able to break out the revenue sources what is the stream of revenue if you keep it within the same company and that's fine too I would say when you're keeping your books to be able to know what percentage is your revenue from your machines and then what is the revenue breakdown of those other folks that you're managing it in that 6% because a banker's going to ask you what percentage of that is what and and you'll have to be able to speak to that so you can explain that to them. So I don't know how you keep your books today but just a suggestion is to make sure if you have different revenue streams for your business that you have those broken out and then you have the total of that revenue. Does that make sense? So I'll give you an example. If you're a logistics company you may own your own trucks and trailers. But then you also may broker some. So I'm going to ask that logistics company, what percentage is brokerage and what percentage is your truck and trailer haul? You know, so we're going to ask that because it's handled a little different. So you can keep it in the same company, but I would just suggest that you be able to break those revenue sources and then have your total income, keeping your books that way. 
or you may even consider maybe creating a separate entity for that business uh, and keeping a separate set of books if that continues to grow and separating those two out for liability, for risk, and you know, some other purposes or just some suggestions. I'd like to ask the, the last question, and this is open for, I'd love each one of you to, to respond to this. I'd, I wanna know, and maybe Brittany, you tell me which franchises you're interested in, but what industries right now, I mean, we're living, I don't, are we post-COVID, like are we, are we out of COVID, whatever, wherever we are. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Beth's like, we're, we're, out, we're out of here. Um, Post-COVID-ish, I don't know where we're at, but in this post-COVID era, you know, I wanna know what franchises you're looking at now. The dynamic, you know, the landscape has really changed. Um, got a lot of interest in, obviously, software companies, and companies are gonna remain remote. Like, I wanna know what industries you're interested in, and nobody say crypto, please. <laughs> I'm just kidding, go Ooh, ahead. Okay, you're catching me in, in real thought. So I think the high-level answer is, I'm looking at those, especially having gone through something like COVID, something that just rips through the economy and changes shopping and buying behaviors, I'm looking at those that, again, that can withstand hardships and macro events like that. So as I said earlier, if you were here, understanding the, the, the how, how fortuitous coffee as an industry is. Um, for example, even looking at, I'm looking at fast food. So I'm frankly looking at those things that would have a drive-through versus dining. We understand full and well how dining was impacted versus the lines that were wrapped around you know, the building. So I could go on and on, but I'm looking at, again, the industries. I'm looking at the brands that also were able to more quickly mobilize and flex and be nimble to, to be successful. Um, and I'm also looking at legacy brands um, as well. And I think I'll be, I'll be really frank. One thing that's always that's been on my mind is Smoothie King. That's something I've, you know, I, if, if I were to do something outside of coffee, it would probably be that. Um, reason being, not because it's also from New Orleans, I'm just saying, but also because it's a brand, I'm joking, but it's a brand that has withstand, withstood decades. It's also withstood the pandemic. So, and again, I said to you guys, the type of owner I'm looking to be is one that's not in a complex model, right? That's important for the type of owner. Because that's, that's if, if, you don't, if you don't have a model that you can operate, it doesn't matter what the revenue opportunity is. If you can't run it, that's a different, different issue. So yeah, just understanding the industries and understanding legacy brands and combining the two to understand just the overall ability to withstand uh, just time in, in trying times. That's what I'm keeping top of mind. So be very careful to not lean too heavily into something you like. I happen to love coffee, but coffee also happens to be an amazing industry. Any industries you're seeing you're excited about? Um, you know, for me, it's it's healthcare, and I think everything that's supportive of healthcare. I think what you saw was a deep impact, right, to uh, how people were treated because they had to stay at home. They weren't able to see their doctor. They saw their doctor on a screen. Um, that really wasn't helpful. And so, whether you're talking healthcare from a mental health perspective, whether you're talking seeing your primary care physician, um, in state of Texas, it was prohibited to go and see a specialist, um, go see your dentist. So I think healthcare and everything supportive of healthcare is gonna rebound pretty heavy, um, kind of post pandemic, right? Because that's a core staple, kind of coffee, um, regardless of inflation, regardless of pricing, of financing, you're gonna see the support around healthcare in that space be uh, pretty heavy, pretty voluminous. Yeah, and I would say that, you know, COVID did change the landscape. And one of the things that a lot of the retail and the um, food industry is really struggling with is the human capital. Finding people that, you know, and in, in, in coming to work and keeping their jobs, there's a lot of turnover. And the service industries are really, really post-COVID still struggling with getting the workforce back in place. So, you know, that would be something that, you know, in your business plan or when you're talking about, we're going to ask about those types of things. You know, what is your employee or your human capital source? How are you retaining employees uh, if you have employees? So that's something to think about, too, if you're going to go into the service industry. Um, you know, where are you going to get your folks from to come work every day? And, and how do you retain those folks and attract those folks to come work for you? It's really, really a key thing that we're looking at today. I would say that, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, we, we like manufacturing, 
logistic companies, but also too, there's a lot of service companies that do services from business to business that are out there, uh, and you don't really have to have a storefront for that, you know. So, um, you know, I I just encourage you guys just to do your research, find other entrepreneurs, other groups. Um, you know, you'd be surprised if you ask other business owners, can you have coffee with me? Can you share your experience with me? They're really willing to share. Um, yeah, I love that. Well, I'd um, love to give a round of applause for our amazing panelists. Um, we are chatting before, and these are so many things that I wish I would have known 10 years ago starting my first business. You guys have made it digestible and understandable, and I know that I could trust a group like Frost to answer my questions. So thank you guys for, for being here and for participating these last couple of weeks. KG, do you have anything, anything to add? Any, que any more questions, sir? Any more, any more questions? You're okay, cool. Thank you guys so, uh, so much. Feel free to connect with the, uh, the panelists uh, after we close out. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>